I'm Pete Sutterling, and welcome to the Zero Prime Podcast, where we explore the early stories of top startups via the experiences of their engineer founders. This week on the show, I chat with Shashanka Das, co-founder and CEO of Acryl Data. Shashanka most notably spent a decade as the lead architect for data at LinkedIn, where he was the co-creator of Data Hub, Hatch Goblin, Databus, Espresso, and other high-scale data infrastructure projects. Shashanka is one of the most thoughtful people in data architecture I know, and I'm very excited to have him on the show. Shashanka, you have long history of presiding over many, many awesome open source projects, especially at LinkedIn, where you were an engineer for more than 10 years. I'm curious, when you left LinkedIn, out of all the options you had at your disposal in terms of fodder for starting a company, how is it that you chose the Data Hub project? Hey, Pete. First of all, very glad to be here. It's been a while since we've spoken, and I think the, the last time I was on the Data Council podium was uh, at your in-person event, which was uh, pretty awesome. Really glad to be talking to you again. So the, the history of me leaving LinkedIn and starting Acryl is actually pretty simple. I spent pretty much all of my time at LinkedIn working on metadata-driven data management. When I look back at my 10 years at LinkedIn, you know, I started out doing data infrastructure, uh, which was you know, building a distributed database and then working on streaming systems, worked on a CDC pipeline back in the day. And then you know, for the six plus years that I was uh, the tech lead for the data platform team, I was responsible for data integration, bringing in all of our first party and third party data into our data lake and then managing it, you know, keeping it up to date, organized. We built the Goblin project as part of that journey. And then making it available for data consumers. So these were large teams of data scientists, ML engineers, who were working really hard on making LinkedIn the best data-driven company they could. And that meant you know, working on metrics, working on features and models, while at the same time making the data be safe to use. So you know, data governance and data compliance were top of mind for a lot of our executive team. I was, in fact, tapped to become the GDPR tech lead for LinkedIn um, back in 2016. And I spent a lot of time with the legal team, understanding all of the ins and outs and implementing the GDPR strategy for LinkedIn. And that involved taking this project that I had built back in the day called Warehouse, which was a search and discovery tool, and kind of turning it on its head and making it a metadata platform. And that involved changing it from being kind of a crawl-oriented system to being a push-based system being able to connect it to every single data platform that we had at LinkedIn, and then building amazing experiences on top. So being able to produce data discovery as an outcome, being able to produce data observability as an outcome, being able to produce data governance and compliance as an outcome, and also producing ML ops as well as data management practices as an outcome. So when I look back at kind of the 10 years of spending time at LinkedIn and what I wanted to do next, it was clear that you know, I'd spent all my time in imagining a better world, and that included a data ecosystem that could be driven from the inside out using metadata. And Data Hub really was at the heart of all of those efforts. And after we open sourced the project, and I noticed, you know, how the community was really hungry for this kind of system, I realized that, you know, it made sense for me to step out, really bring this dream to fruition, not just at LinkedIn, but at every single enterprise and company, whatever stage of their data maturity they were. I, I don't feel like I've changed what I'm working on in many ways, 
But of course, the setting is very different and I'm enjoying it a lot. So when I logged into the Data Hub Slack today, I noticed more than 4,100 people there participating in chats around the Data Hub, the Data Hub open source project, which is amazing. Congrats to you on that. And, and even more so, congrats on the company names that I saw there, Pinterest, Stripe, Apple, JP Morgan, Robinhood, others. Tell us a little bit more from your perspective about how the growth of the community has been going since you started the company. It's been extremely crazy last 18 months. I think we've had quite an enormous amount of growth, uh, definitely fueled by the amount of attention we have put into the project and the love we've given into the community. We've definitely seen the community paying us back uh, in spades. I mean, I think I remember when I started the company, we were at about you know 250 or so Slack members. And like you said, we're at 4,200 right now. And and it's a vibrant. I mean, the Slack builds are pretty high and, you know, the actives are pretty high. People are talking about all sorts of things, not just stack traces and getting started with Data Hub, but also about what do we do with this product? How do we achieve great outcomes on the governance side, on the observability side? You know, more than 100 companies have adopted it in the wild, according to you know, what we see. There are official logos, of course, you know, companies like Peloton, Optum, that's United Healthcare, Adevinta, and many others. And like you said, you know, there are some real tech powerhouses like Apple, Stripe, Pinterest that are even sending contributions back into the project. And right. it's been it's amazing. I think a lot of it really boils down to how much you end up investing in the community and really are you listening to the community? And so we, you know, Maggie joined us back in September and she's been a huge you know, determinant in making sure that we are transparent about what we are doing. We have an open feature request portal. People can basically say what they want to see happen. And then we put it on our roadmap and then we execute on it. And that has resulted in kind of the community trusting us that we're going to deliver on things that we are saying we will. And at the same time, you know, the space is at the same time old and new. And so there's a lot that we learn about where the problems are. Uh, where people need help. And a lot of the features that have emerged have been really intuited in some senses by us, but really driven by the community. We've got like native integration with DBT, Great Expectations, Airflow, Looker, and many of these constituents of the, I guess, the popular data stack. And a lot of the work around the business glossary, domains, supporting a beautiful push-based API, all of that stuff has been really done with a lot of feedback from the community. And that's obviously just the Data Hub project. Like you know, we also have a commercial arm. So Acryl Data is a company and that provides you know, a SaaS product, which takes Data Hub, as we say, to the next level. We add a bunch of premium features for discovery and automated governance. And those are again, built from our observations in the community and around what reduces time to value for Data Hub deployments. And so we've, I think, been selling for just about a year, and we already have quite a few mid-market and enterprise customers, and we are growing rapidly. So it's been busy both on both fronts. It sounds very busy, and that's a great update. I'm really happy to see the company moving forward and the open source project as well, both entities, if you will. So I wanted to acknowledge and ask your advice and sort of clarity, because we hear so much across many different terms in the space these days, including data discovery, data catalogs, observability, 
Some folks even predict that data catalogs are going out of fashion, where others say that they're actually having a renaissance moment. So I'm wondering, what's your take on this segment? And where do you think the data catalog segment will be in the next five to 10 years? Well, I have a crystal ball that I look at. And uh, <laughs> the one thing that it tells me is, you know, to, to forecast the future, you definitely have to look at the past and you have to learn from what has worked. And then you have some hope of predicting the future correctly. You still have macro events that can change things around. But uh, one of the things that I actually did not know about before I started on this journey, but now having talked to hundreds and hundreds of teams and data leaders in our community and in the commercial space, I have learned that for a lot of people, the phrase data catalog just equates to documentation. And, you know, coming from a very Silicon Valley eco chamber bubble of engineering and we just build everything in-house. And it took me a while to appreciate why for a lot of people, data catalog equals documentation. And I think it's because the word, you know, the, the phrase data catalog emerged from obviously the, the act of cataloging and the act of cataloging really comes from, you know, the age of librarians. And so you've got this image of a librarian who's using beautiful system of categorization and creating this beautiful organized space where you have your library visitors and they're just walking in, they're consulting the catalog and able to quickly find quietly without even talking to anyone. They're able to find what they're looking for. They read it quietly or they check it out and then walk out and you've got a beautiful curated experience that you participated in. But you and I know that the data space is anything but a quiet mm. library. We used to call this the data dictionary. Even before the catalog exactly. term, it was called the data dictionary. So we're sort of insisting on this type of a metaphor, I think, to agree with your point. Exactly, exactly. But the reality is that, you know, the data ecosystem is anything but a mm. quiet space. I mean, one is the soup kitchen kind of moment around, you know, airflow pipelines are running all the time. Data quality checks are mm -hmm. running. Someone is checking in a schema. Like that's the activity that's going on inside the enterprise. And then on top of that, someone probably bought a tool right now and they're integrating it into your ecosystem. So it's not just new things within tools that are changing, but also new tools are coming into your data ecosystem at the same time. And so taking a system that is very standardized, very organized, all we're talking about is books, right? And applying it to an ecosystem that's so fluid, changing constantly, these are not even the same things, a process and a data set and a dashboard are not the same thing. I think we've kind of unnaturally tried to force a very curation-oriented idea onto a space that is inherently noisy, inherently fast-paced, and instead we need to think about it very differently. And that's, I think, the reason why a lot of early market appreciation for data catalogs didn't quite land, because the expectations were somewhat different. And so I think, you know, in terms of terms, you know, data catalog, the term, I personally think it still remains to be seen whether it will continue to exist or whether we start calling these products data portals or whether we start calling these products data consoles or if I'm dreaming really big, whether we start calling them a data operating system. And I'll leave the marketing experts to coin the next buzzword. But what I'm really convinced about is the capabilities that this thing needs to have. And that's where the conversation needs to be. And it seems like you're acknowledging or emphasizing that the freshness of the data and the, the ability of the system to sort of keep up with continuous and dynamic change 
an augmentation of the data is sort of requisite to your mental model for this space. Is that fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when we think about like, you know, the, the three things that this thing needs to have, you can call it the metadata substrate, you can call it the data operating system. First of all, it needs to have unlimited context. And what I mean by that is the consumers of this information are both technical as well as you know, business users. And the universe of needs in terms of information that this cohort needs across these multiple personas is actually unlimited. So who created this thing? When was it last updated? What's the logic behind it? Who uses it? How many records does it have? What does the data quality checks on this say? You know, who last worked on it? All of this stuff, it's context. And it spans technical, operational, social, business, all of this stuff. And if the information across all of these context spaces isn't moved into a single place, then you suffer from siloing. And that then leads to lack of trust. And so the real unlock is, one, it needs to be able to scale to handling unlimited context. And second, like you were mentioning, it needs to appreciate the fact that the data ecosystem is continuously changing. And it needs to integrate into the operational fabric. Because the surface area of this product is not just the humans. So it's not just the application experience where someone comes in, searches for something, finds something, understands how it's changing and all of that stuff. It's all important. The humans are very, very important. But that's not all. You also need to integrate into the operational fabric so that you can power real-time use cases for integrations to be built with other parts of the stack. And that has been, again, one of the failures in the past of you know, these tools thinking that they were the center of the universe and they could just stay in their own world and just win. The reality is that it needs to actually smoothly interoperate with everything else out there. You know, the orchestrator, your data definition systems, your DBT pipelines, your CI/CD systems, your notification and alerting systems, your access management infrastructure. All of these pieces of the puzzle are important to connect up to in both directions. Metadata needs to flow in and then flow back out. So if you want visual metaphors, right, you can think of it like a giant crossbar switch that is keeping metadata synchronized and flowing back and forth between all of these data tools at your company while serving as kind of a standardization and refinery layer in the middle that allows you to dedupe all the noise, standardize on things that, that are important things for you to standardize on, and to be able to enrich this in flight. And why do you need this? Well, that hopefully is pretty clear. Without it, you have no hope of surfacing information that is being generated in system A in system B. And if you don't do that, then your consumers of data who are maybe sitting on a Looker dashboard over here are unable to know that dashboard is powered by a data set that's of really low quality. And that information is sitting maybe in your data observability tool, or maybe it's sitting in your airflow pipelines. And you just start two different worlds, right? I've always appreciated your thoughts on this topic and terms like metadata substrate or the operational fabric and the place of the metadata system. Again, whether we're calling it a data catalog or a metadata system or whatever, we'll sort of see you know, how the market and marketing determines that we should use those terms consistently. But I think that you've always been a proponent for this holistic view that the metadata system or whatever powers the data catalog needs to be deeply embedded inside the organization as opposed to the point solution version of some of these tools that we see pop up. 
what's what are the practical challenges to an organization actually getting there? Like, how does an organization adopt the right thinking behind metadata? This is a very common question we get as well, especially for people who've kind of gone in and watched one of my talks or read one of those blog posts. And they're like, okay, this is great. This is great. We want to do this. But how do we get started? Because for a lot of people, it seems like this is a very new way of thinking about it. And now we have to start from scratch. And for a lot of those people, I think we've kind of have to explain to them that, for example, the Data Hub project doesn't require you to start from zero. You know, you can, you can get it connected up to your most important systems and get to value on day one because it already comes pre-baked with connectors to all your important data systems, you know, your DBT, Airflow, Looker, Kafka, all of those things. So we, we don't have religion in that sense of saying everything has to be pushed in. We connect up to all of these systems. We pull out important information. We are huge believers in not having to repeat yourself twice, right? A lot of this metadata already lives in these tools. So why, you know, go through like a huge boil the ocean effort to go, you know, update your definitions in your original files if you already have a lot of this information in your audit logs and in your existing tools? So Data Hub will connect up to these things and ETL all of this metadata out and give you kind of a live view of how things are changing. And that's day one. So day one, you install it, you already start seeing some value. But then the conversation becomes, okay, how do I change culture now, right? How do I make this a sustainable practice? And that's where we think the third piece of the puzzle comes in. So it's not just about unlimited context. It's not just about integrating into the operational fabric, but it's about encouraging the kind of behaviors that introduce software engineering practices into data engineering. And this is obviously a hot topic because data engineering, you know, data engineers, I've always felt like they were behind the times. Like, you know, we, we threw UI at them all the time and told them, you don't have to learn Git, you don't have to learn versioning, and here's a bunch of apps for you to get productive with data. And now I think, you know, the DBT movement and a few other things that are going on are kind of helping bring back kind of the, the old school thinking and, the, and the kind of our learnings around documentation lives best right next to code and version your artifacts and canary your deployments and things like that. And the more those practices get introduced into data engineering, it kind of, we want to encourage those kind of behaviors. And that's where kind of this movement towards shift left is really what we are trying to push organizations toward because we've seen repeatedly. And of course, I'm colored by my own personal experiences, but even looking at the community and looking at how they are rolling out data management as well as data governance initiatives. A lot of this is defining governance as code or defining policies as code, schema linting, applying compliance taxonomies at point of origin, being able to declare who the owner of a data asset is right next to your DBT model definition. It all feels natural once all of this shows up in the developer's toolkit. And once dev data producers kind of know what is expected from them, then we find that they do these things easily because now it's easy for them. And who benefits from all of this? Data consumers. So we're starting to see the benefits of what this might look like. You can do things like, say, if you've got an upstream table that has tags declared on it, and you want a downstream table to have access management policies that derive off of the upstream data sets, tags, you can do these things now. The moment that upstream data sets tag changes, you can go to your downstream system powered by kind of this real-time metadata fabric to drive action in your downstream system. So you can set up a snowflake policy or a BigQuery policy. If you're in the observability space, you can look at 
an airflow pipeline just landed and a great expectations result for that pipeline is now available and it looks like the data set doesn't meet the quality rules and that allows you to fire off a pager alert, a pager duty alert or a slack alert or whatever you want to do. And this, this kind of decoupling that it allows you to create allows you to really connect production of important event with action that happens in your downstream system. And if it happens live, then you can start getting value right away from this tool. Yeah, and I love this view of how this metadata can be integrated back into and enriching the developer's experience. Obviously, it can also power downstream systems and other governance mechanisms, as you mentioned. But yeah, I think the, the sky's the limit in terms of how this metadata can be used to actually enhance and increase our ability as data engineers or analytics engineers or data scientists to consume and use and, and create powerful applications on top of this data. So we're out of time, so I have to let you go. But last question, is the data catalog a standalone piece of infrastructure 10 years from now? If by that you mean whether it comes bundled with an existing platform or is just a standalone category of its own, you know, I absolutely believe it's going to be a standalone category because this problem by itself, in its definition itself, resists monopolies because the whole problem definition is you have more than one of a thing and therefore you need those N things to work harmoniously together. And as long as there'll be more than one thing that's part of your data stack, and I, I think that's going to be the case for a really long time, I think the data catalog or the metadata substrate or the data observability layer or the data discovery layer, whatever we call this thing, is definitely going to stay its own category. I love that. As the ultimate defender against a single vendor lock-in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Shashanka, this has been great. It's always great to talk to you as usual. And thanks for sharing your insights with us. Thanks a lot, Pete. As usual, a lot of fun chatting and hopefully this resonates with a lot of your audience. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Zero Prime Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my chat today with Shashanka Das. If you'd like to get in touch with Shashanka, you can find him on Twitter at Shashanka, or you can find DataHub at datahubproject.io. If you like hearing from engineer founders on the cutting edge of enterprise startups and developer tools, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the show. We'll see you next time.